Welcome in to another edition of Heat Check. It is the beginning of our college basketball preview series. We are starting with the Conference of Champions. Uh, it's one that we know very well. It's the Pac-12. We're going to get going with that. We will have these previews coming to you ahead of the November 25th beginning of the season. And we're starting out west. So we're going we're gonna to get into the Pac-12. Um, Arizona State obviously is – up there in the rankings, depending on where you've seen them. I've not seen a preseason ranking that doesn't have them one, two, or three in this conference. Going to be probably a down year for Arizona, but it looks like Oregon, UCLA, Stanford are expected to be the biggest pushes against ASU in its quest to become or to win the conference for the first time. Uh, They were close last year, kind of fell apart when they had a chance in Los Angeles late in the season or late in the regular season, but they added Josh Christopher, they added Marcus Bagley, they add Holland Woods, a lot of additions to this ASU team. So I think that they are the first talking point. Um, Interested to see if you guys are projecting them to win the league and um, how you think the route to it um, shapes up. Well, it's not going to be an easy route, right? This is, a, this is a really deep conference. I think it goes, honestly, you know, five, six teams deep. Unfortunately, you know, there's some happenings. I feel like Arizona was going to be a team that was going to be competing in the Pac-12. They're an interesting team, right? They bring in a ton of different transfers after losing a bunch of guys. Last year, Nico Mannion being one of them. And, you know, Sean Miller, you know, Marchie Miller, our guy gets the, uh, you know, he gets the little hand, he gets the hammer, you know, he gets the hammer there. NCAA coming down on him finally. We kind of expected this, but it kind of takes him out of the picture a little bit. I think it's going to bring the energy down there, but who knows? Who knows how they're going to respond to that? But that's a team that could be damp, that could do some damage as well. Another team that we're, it's a little bit down, that doesn't really have their, uh, their diaper dandies that they usually get every year. Washington seems to be a little bit more down this year than usual. We'll see how they are looking into this year. But Arizona State, definitely intriguing. I think they got a shot at the top, but like you, got, like you said too, game. I'm interested to see where you guys have them at also because it's going to be it's, – it's tough to gauge because, right, they have two – they have a bunch of young guys. Obviously, they got some returners, which is why they're so intriguing. Remy Martin, runner-up the player of the year last year, probably the favorite to win it this year. And you just got to think, like, if Josh Christopher is – where what ASU's think he's going to be, and if he's even better, what is the ceiling for that team? Could they potentially compete for a national championship under Bobby Hurley? That's a crazy sentence that, you know, I can't even wrap my own head around saying, especially with our guy Bobby Hurley. But, you know, it, it's just the way it is with this the way this team stacks up. They're really talented. Marcus Bagley is a very good four-star recruit that they bring in, and then obviously Christopher is a program-changing level signing for them. So it'll be interesting in the pack, and don't forget about – Money McCronin and UCLA, that team is back after getting Chris Smith. That team is going to be very good as well, and Oregon never leaves. So it's going to be a very interesting conference. Like you said, I'm excited to see who we got winning it. Yeah, no, picture to put in context what ASU did this year. Think about it like this. 
them getting James Harden, but they still have Eddie House on roster. That's kind of what they are creating now with a guy like Remy Martin, this established dude, being married with this all-time high recruit for the Sun Devils. Expectations have never been higher for ASU. And at times, with Bobby Hurley over the last couple of years, when there weren't expectations, that's when ASU was at their best and vice versa. When there was an opportunity to win the Pac-12 or when you're ranked number three in the nation, it's kind of when ASU's underperformed. So I think early on, you're going to be able to gauge how solid this ASU team is. If they're beating and handling the teams they should, especially in Pac-12 play, because Correct me if I'm wrong, Gabe, but I still don't think ASU has swept a conference road swing. Um, I, yeah, I don't think that I don't. No, they didn't because they, they um, no, that's wrong. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. They did. They did the Stanford and Cal one last year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they've done it once under Bobby Early. Yeah, which this team is good enough to where that shouldn't happen ever. Like they, they shouldn't only sweep one of their one-twos on the road this season. They're going to be better than pretty much everybody in the league aside from maybe Oregon-UCLA on a night-in-night-out basis. And occasionally, yeah, you're going to get caught. This is college basketball. It's mayhem. But they should win about 75% of the road games this year, I think, in conference. So that's going to be the measure. Can they do that? Do they have the maturity to? How much can Remy Martin bring? Losing Romello White's a killer there, especially because two of the four teams in the league that you say, okay, yeah, they could win the league if you're going to lump USC in with Mobley, have dominant centers. Nafali, Dante, and Mobley are going to eat in this league night in, night out. And ASU doesn't have that. This is really guard year, you, the real return of it, where your top six players are probably going to be guards or wings that are on the smaller size of things with Bagley. So – can ASU assert themselves on a nightly basis? That's my biggest question. But, yeah, the talent's the most talented team in the league. Well, I think that it's a matter of almost that the the expectations determines how much Hurley usually exceeds them. So if they're lower, he usually exceeds them. The ceiling just is a little below it. So last year the expectations weren't nearly as high, but – I would say they exceeded expectations. By the end of the year, they were a safe NCAA tournament team had that tournament happen. And I think that you could make the argument that they could have won a game or two in the tournament. The thing that stands out to me, I mean, you're mentioning matching up with bigs. Um, Dante should be a huge – if he can actually make a jump and play more than – 13 minutes per game for 12 games this year for Oregon. I think that they can be really good. But Oregon here, the difference between Oregon and ASU is that Oregon needs multiple guys to make leaps that they haven't completely proven that they can. Whereas ASU gets Remy Martin back and he has proven what he can be. So I would say that, for me, ASU's going to be the 
preseason number one in, in the Pac-12. I actually have Oregon over UCLA because wow. because I think that the ceiling for them is higher, even though the talent of UCLA um, might be slightly better and that Chris Smith is kind of a worse version of Remy, not in the same player perspective, but in the sense of how important it is that he returned to the team. Um, I, I think that we're underrating though, the fact that Jalen Graham is going to be a pretty good big for ASU and he'll get the job done. I think it'll be decent, but it's not, it's not Romello white. If this team has Romello white, a guy who's a four year starter, a guy who's was 10 and nine last year and was, I think pretty clearly ASU second best player. You can argue verge, but on a night and night out basis, I do think it was Romello White having that guy. And given Romello White's not a big dude, he's six nine, but it's still that that veteran presence, that guy that you can count on to guard fives and rebound the ball that ASU doesn't have. So they're going to play small. They've had success playing small before, and it is going to, I think, increase what they can do offensively because – as good as Romello White was as a rim runner and an offensive rebound guy and a guy you could throw the ball into the post for, you're clearing things out for Bagley, for Josh Christopher, who's elite attacking the rim, for Remy Martin, who's really crafty at the rim and is really good at making that last second pass. You're clearing things out for them. So I think offensively, you're going to be watching a team night in, night out with ASU that's going to be scoring 75, 80 points and trying to push things a lot. Defensively, that's the big question. Yeah, I think so for sure. And, you know, their, their guard play is just going to be crazy. Like like you guys mentioned, it's the return of guard you. You know, with Holland Woods getting waivers, you know, he's going to be a guy off the bench that's going to be a very good compliment piece to Alonzo Verge, a guy that won Pac-12 six man of the year last year. So I'm, I'm in agreement with Gabe where I actually I have ASU finishing first also. And I'm in difference with Gabe where I've actually got UCLA second. Um, UC, UCLA, I just think, with Chris Smith returning, pending how I think he will play based off what we saw at the end of last year when he really started turning it on, was really when the Chris Smith, like, okay, wow, this guy is a, a legitimate player out here in the Pac-12. It's the main reason UCLA got turned around because they didn't – yeah, they had Tiger Campbell and, you know, Jaime Hawkins was a guy that was able to put some points up. Mm-hmm. And they have they have really good duo of bigs, Jalen Hill and Cody Riley. Those two are, are very good duo for them. One, you know, one starting, one coming off the bench. And this is a team that just had it's a bunch of guys and then they needed the guy and that's what Chris Smith became. So if he can do that again this year, UCLA's got a huge – they're looking at the best season they could have since the Lonzo Ball, uh, since the Lonzo Ball era there. Fortunately, that team made it all the way to Sweet 16, didn't get much further. They fell at the, at the hands of De'Aaron Fox in Kentucky that year. So we'll see if they can be up there. I think they're better coached off now with McCronin with the job he did last year. I know we're both fans, and I think he did an excellent job. And I'm looking to see if he can – have them a little bit sharper in the non-conference schedule this time around. They did last year. Last year, UCLA had a non-conference eight and nine. Took them a little bit of impact while play to get that turned around. So I think yeah. if you get that non-conference sharpened up and get them a little bit right, UCLA is looking anywhere they could be from potentially at the lowest, I feel like a six, anywhere up to a two, maybe a three seed, depending how well they play in Pac-12. Well, it's, a, it's a definitely a talented roster. 
I think UCLA is fascinating because people, maybe it was because the season ended with this pandemic and we never really got to see them manifest in a conference tournament and see if they could do that throughout the course of a weekend or even into the NCAA tournament. But people forget how bad it was early on at UCLA last year. And teams get hot. And I think a lot of our preseason expectation is based on what UCLA finished as, rightfully so, more so than what they started as. So my question about UCLA, a team that really, when we're talking about Oregon, it's a new-look team. When we're talking about ASU, it's a completely new-look team. No more Benny Boatwright at USC, new-look team. For UCLA, can they keep up the hot shooting, which they were a ridiculously good shooting team down the stretch, especially Chris Smith from deep. And can these guys take a jump? And then also the one guy that they did add, Johnny Juzang, what kind of role does he have? The transfer from Kentucky, highly touted guy, didn't really play there. Kind of like Khalil Whitney, who didn't really play at Kentucky and transferred out. Maybe that talent kind of comes to fruition a little bit here. I'm not sure. All I know is that if Dyson Nix, the top point guard in the country, had gone to the G League and had instead stayed with his commitment to UCLA, we're having a different kind of discussion about them. I don't think they're national title good, but I do think they are a good veteran basketball team. That's interesting because we'll get to our Pac-12. We're going to do superlatives. We're going to do a segment uh, called They Would, They Could, They Should. So those are going to get into kind of our expectations um, and, and a little variation. But I'm interested to hear there's ASU's getting Josh Christopher. Stanford is getting Zaire Williams. USC gets Evan Mobley. Of those three um, big-time recruits, because Knicks didn't go to UCLA, so so the conference loses one of them, Um who are you most interested in? And if it's not Josh Christopher, um, which of the two in specific of Williams or Mobley are you more interested in? Well, I think it's got to be Williams, right? Now, this this kind of hurts because Stanford has turned things around a little bit in terms of recruiting. They've been able to get dudes who are one-and-done caliber, whether it was Casey Akpala, who was a highly touted guy that was two and through, or – Last year with Tyrell Terry, who kind of shocked people with the jump that he made, and he declared, you think, okay, if those two guys who are not going to be dudes drafted super high in the NBA draft this year had just decided to come back and, and combine with Zaire, what could have Stanford been? But for Zaire Williams, he's the first real dude to go to Stanford. The first, like, okay, that's a top 10 guy. That's a lottery pick guy, potentially to go play for the tree guys. So if he can really elevate Stanford to the point to where they're a legitimate NCAA tournament team again this year, a jump that they still probably weren't going to be able to make last year, that guy wins conference player of the year, I think. So that's the dude that I'm the most interested in because I think he might have the highest ceiling this year in terms of college basketball acclaim. And then you talk about Mobley. USC's had these dominant centers. Do they lose anything from him now being the guy who's filling in for Okongwu, who is climbing up people's draft boards? And some people are saying it's going to go top five whenever the NBA draft happens. Yeah, I think, I think like you said, Gabe, it's not Josh Christopher. Like, I think, you know, with Josh Christopher, it's, he's just such an eye-popping star when it comes. I mean, he's very out there, and that's something that – 
it just fits kind of like ASU. I think the, it's a perfect fit. He's got that ASU kind of swagger to him. They kind of started playing with that at the end of last year. They went on that big winning streak with those throwback yellow jerseys. And it just seemed like they started getting a little bit of swagger around the program. That was kind of becoming their identity. And then, bang, they get Josh Christopher, who just perfectly fits right in. And they're now just start. I think they're starting to build a little bit of a culture here and that right before our eyes. And I think he is the guy that's the one behind the wheel with the keys. I think he's like, obviously, Remy Martin, I think, is the best player on this team. But as far as driving the culture and driving the future of what Sun Devil Hoops is going to look like, I think Josh Christopher is a big reason behind that. And, you know, Zaire Williams, I think, is a guy that's oozing with talent. And I think it's really going to be the reason Stanford's in the top five is the fact that Zaire Williams is there. And they get Oscar DeSilva back, who was a 15-a-game scorer. So that's yeah. huge for them. But, you know, I think Zaire Williams really makes Stanford relevant. I'm going to make a case for having Moby Low kind of like Peyton. I'm going to – that's who I'm – kind of taking out of these three. You know, USC loses a ton of guys. They lose a Kongwu, who Payne mentioned was just dominant last year for them, especially around the rim. USC was a team two years ago that ran 44% of zone. Last year they ran less than 10% under Andy Enfield, which is not, just not normal for him. So the fact that they could run man-to-man with a Kongwu protecting the rim like that, just that's how good he was for them. And USC top 20 and Gabe's favorite place, Ken Palm for adjusted defense last season. Very good defensive team with a, with a Kongwu down there. That's, that's the, he's just an anchor. You lose that. You lose Rukosovic, who was a guy that was good and crafty around the rim and could, you know, get a couple block shots here and there. They lose Utomi and they lose Jonah Matthews, which was – Jonah Matthews a guy that was hitting shots for them at the end of last year. So that came against UCLA, especially that dude was – that dude was hitting threes left and right. So this team's going to have – the biggest question really is guard play because I think Mobley's going to be good. But it's not the centers that USC's playing with. He's not clunky center. For as athletic as O'Connell was, he really had nothing more to offer than being a guy that could be down low, make a move here and there, but not really the most refined post scorer. And then, a, you know, a rebounder and a lob guy. He didn't have much of a mid-range. He could a little bit, but it's not there all the time. He doesn't really have the three ball. So – you have a guy like Mobley that moves more, more like a modern-day Anthony Davis, I would say, a guy that can, you know, face you up in the mid-range, can pop out from three every once in a while. I don't, I don't expect him to, you know, be up in the conference leaders of three-point shooting, but he's definitely a guy you got to respect from out there. He's got handles for a guy that's seven feet tall. The question is with him, you know, he brings all that, 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 that dynamic scoring in different ways offensively, but is defensively, can he be what USC is used to? Because – USC always, I mean, has had, you know, a Kongo and the Rakosovich guys that can protect the rim. Is Moby willing to be that guy that can protect the rim and USC and run their defense just like they did last year? It was stifling at points. This team was really hot at the end of Pac-12 play. A lot of people had them potentially going in winning the Pac-12 tournament. That's how well they were playing. And the main reason for that was their defense, and they got hot shooting. But can that defense continue this year? I think that's where I think Mobley is really interesting because if he does bring that, He's definitely a guy that could win, you know, newcomer of the year, freshman of the year, all that good stuff because he is so talented offensively. Now, what does he bring defensively? That's what we got to look out for. Yeah, they USC lost a lot of production. Um, they will need Ethan Anderson to be pretty good at the guard spot for them to be in the top tier of the conference, the top four of the conference, top five of the conference. Um I have them as the sixth best team in the conference behind Colorado, just because I trust McKinley Wright more. 
Um, I have Arizona at seven because if you talk about USC losing production, Arizona loses a ton of production because they have no Nico Mannion, no Stone Gettings, Zeke Najee's gone, Josh Green, Max Hazard, Chase Jeter, Dylan Smith. All those dudes are gone. So Arizona is a program where they usually rebuild and they and they reload pretty quickly. The the problem is they didn't reload because they missed on a guy like Zaire Williams. They didn't reload with anyone who is going to be able to carry the team as a freshman. They grabbed a couple transfers. They grabbed some guys from Europe. Um, CJ Holmes, our guy, before he um, moved to the Philadelphia Big Five beat for the athletic, he wrote about their pursuit of European guys. And it's an interesting strategy. It may be an avoid having to throw the bag strategy for Sean Miller um, while the FBI is on his tail. Um, But I don't think that it's a strategy that leads to tons of wins during the 2020, 2021 season. Am I wrong for that? I mean, we'll see a lot of these European guys, it can go really well or it might not go so well. Like, I was personally really excited about Elias Voltanen, and now he has left the program. Um, Euros Plasvic is another example. I know Tennessee fans have somehow – shout out Euros. Saw him at a breakfast place locally in Knoxville once. Kind of hard to miss. He's like seven foot three. But a guy that is seven foot three and you expect to, like, be, be a dominant college basketball player – just isn't it's just sometimes hard to nail down um it's i'm not gonna say it's a band-aid and just come out and say you know what i am it's a band-aid rc miller is trying to put a band-aid on the situation he went out got a bunch of transfer guys a bunch of european guys he had a one and done class of dudes that unperformed i think that is indiscriminately true and now he's got these looming sanctions so it's going to be very difficult for him to recruit there this is not looking good for Arizona. And for the sake of college basketball, it's better when Arizona is good. But in the short term, I don't know how this gets better over the course of the next two years. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm wrong. But I just – I don't see the world in which they get enough out of guys like Akin Joe, who is a dude who's kind of ball dominant and really needs to have high volume to be successful where they, they are a real threat in the league. Coming into the year, for the first time that I can remember, Arizona State is clearly and obviously much better than Arizona, which is weird. I think that they were probably better or at least projected to be better um, two years ago. Maybe I forget. But it wasn't obvious like this. Yeah, it wasn't obvious. It wasn't like it – was, it wasn't – the difference between me ranking ASU one and Arizona seven and Arizona also is probably the last team uh, that I think can make the tournament at like the, like they're the lowest team that I think can make the tournament. I mean, Utah loses Booth Gotch, Washington. Um, my heart goes out to that program. I'm disappointed in last year, <laughs> Cal, Oregon state, Washington state are all just going to be, teams that you try to avoid losing to on the road um yeah Peyton 
Oh, I just wanted to, before we move on, ask this. Like, if you knew nothing of these two teams, Arizona and ASU, and you showed somebody their rosters with the stars on recruits and the acclaims of their established players, you're saying ASU's roster belongs to U of A, correct? Like on a blind taste test. Yeah, given the history. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just a crazy thing to me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's – it is a roster that's consisting of – it's the makeup of a normal U of A roster in the sense that yeah. it's two five-stars, um, depending on where you look at Marcus Bagley. I'm pretty sure he's listed as a five-star on um, Rivals and 247, but not on ESPN. Um, it's two five-stars. It's a couple impact transfers. They also – and this this should not be understated in terms of the development of the guards, especially with how many there are. Uh, it can't be overstated the importance of them having Luther Muhammad in practice as a good defender True. to to improve guys. Because if there's anything that we've sh- we've known over the extent of college basketball, it's that good transfers elevate guys. And like Rob Edwards helped elevate guys during the first year that Remy Martin was uh, during Remy Martin's freshman year. Um, a, a good example. A guy like Malik Newman, when he sat out at Kansas, he helped elevate a Frank Mason and a Devontae Graham during that last year where Frank Mason was at KU. So having good transfers who push, who are going to sit out because a lot of these transfers are going to get waivers and stuff, but Luther Muhammad was pretty insistent on sitting out because of basically there's at a certain point, there's a, a cutoff on guards yeah. being able to find playing time and He'll be a good. He'll be a good guy to have the next two, three, two or three years. I don't know how many exactly he'll get, um, but that can't be overstated. Um, well, and also, Gabe, not to cut you off, but to add here, the fact that he has nothing to—he's not playing games, so all he has to do is compete his butt off on the defensive end of the floor in practice and get better there. So that competitiveness. One would think based on how Luther Muhammad played his first couple years at Ohio State, the kind of chip that he brings is really, that's a great point that you made, going to help elevate guys like Remy Martin, guys like Holland Woods, guys like Verge, guys like Christopher especially, because that level of competition and competing every second is going to be unavoidable. It's going to be in practice every single day. Yeah. All right. If you guys are comfortable, we can get to Pac-12 superlatives. Let's do it. Do it. All right. So, who who wants to start? I feel like I've got a. I feel like I've got a good one. Okay. And it's going to go to best bromance, which is basically I'm handing it out as what's going to be the best duo in the league this season. Now, there's a few. A few different ones, and honestly, I was really close to going to Westwood for this one and going with a guy in, in Chris Smith, and I think a guy that I believe in a lot last year that I talked about when I talked to UCLA was Jaime Hawkes. I think he's actually going to take a good step up. So, again, like an honorable mention. But I'm going to go with Remy Martin and Josh Christopher, obviously, for this one. I think that's kind of the obvious choice, but these are the two – we think Remy Martin's probably Pac-12 player of the year. And, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to average up close to 20, if not 20 a game this year, which would be an insane step up for him. 
And then Josh Christopher, I think, you know, the biggest wild card is what it comes. I think no doubt he's going to be a good player, but giving them this award, it, it's going to take him to be a guy that ASU can lean on if Remy Martin's not having a big game. And that's, that's something that if they had in Rob Edwards, the guy that could definitely score, they were losing that. And, you know, if Josh Christopher can really produce from outside, we know he can get to the rim and we know he can, you know, attack with penetration. We know that. That's his strong suit. But what's his jump shot going to look like? And how is he going to be able to distribute around to the rest of the guys? Because he's got plenty of weapons. That, those are the biggest questions for him. I think he will be able to do that. I think he's such a talented player. He's a smart player. And he's definitely a physical freak. So I, I got them as best bromance for the first superlative I'm handing out. Handing out. I like that one. Peyton? All right. I'm going to go with the guy that you were most likely to forget he existed award. That's McKinley Wright. This is a dude that had a lot of preseason Pac-12 player of the year buzz. Colorado knocked off Dayton, an exclusive club of them in Kansas last year. Early in the season, things were looking good. Colorado did not finish the year well. Lost the only game or one of two games in the Pac-12 tournament to Washington State. Got upset. Finished the year on a five-plus game skid. And then you see McKinley Rice declaring for the draft, and you think it's over. He decided to come back late. The dude who averaged 14, 6, and 5 last year. He's going to be the focal point of this team. A very deep sleeper for conference player of the year. And I kind of forgot he existed until I started researching for this podcast. I, I don't know if I could I, – I don't know if he's, like, enough – I don't think that you can say that a, a guy who's going to be preseason first-team all-conference is going to be a guy you forget. But I guess I guess you could get to a point where you turn on a Colorado game or casual college basketball fans will turn on a college basketball game this, this uh, winter and they'll be like, oh, Tyler Bay's – they're not going to say Tyler Bay's gone. They're going to be like, oh, I remember McKinley, right? Because of a certain a certain game and a couple years ago. So I I can see that. Um, I just said a couple minutes ago, there's not much to talk about with Utah, but my first superlative is going to go to the guy who is most likely to, I put in quotation marks, randomly drop 35 in a game. And I'm going to give it to Timmy Allen of Utah because he averaged 17 points per game as a sophomore. He's actually, uh, if you, if you wanted to, uh, win a, win a little bet with your buddies, he's the second leading returning scorer into the conference behind only Remy Martin. Uh, he's had plenty of games in the twenties last year. Season high was 27. If I can remember this, if you can, you can remember, Utah beating Kentucky last year in Vegas. I don't know if they're going to have like a, a big win in them, but it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Timmy Allen drops 35 in a game and upsets a UCLA, Oregon, or ASU at some point this year. So especially ASU, given that it's a, it's basically a little rivalry game because he's from the Phoenix area. Mm. The new Cedric Bearfield. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess the pro reward I have, this is one of my favorite ones. I think actually the team 
this is going to a team. I'm going to a team of work. Most likely to be on catfish. So I, it basically, <laughs> it's, it, it's handing out the, the title to the team that I think was one of Gabe's favorite things is that they're going to be fake good. And I, as much as I hate to say it, I'm going to give it to Stanford as the team that's most likely to be on catfish. It was close between them and Oregon. And my case for Oregon is that I think, like you said earlier, Gabe, this is a team that's always had their guy, like the guy in Peyton Pritchard. And then everyone else was just really good behind them. Now there's no Peyton Pritchard and all these guys that were, you know, behind him and, you know, assisting him and becoming and be like being the secondary options to him are someone's going to have to step up. Is it Richardson? Is it Chris Duarte? Is it Amarui? You know, who is it Dante? Who, who's it going to be for this team? They get, they get Eric Williams from Duquesne, you know, one of our, one of our highly talked about <laughs> schools on the program last year. Uh, but like, who's going to be the guy for that team? I don't give it to them though. I give it to Stanford because I think, I feel like we could just be a little too high on Stanford. I think they're going to be a good team with guys like Zyder Williams. Oscar De Silva comes back. You have a guy in Deion Davis that has, you know, potential to score. He's a, he's a good defender. But, you know, this team is just still so, is so I think, a step away. And I feel like, they got a big recruit, and people just bang Stanford, decent team last year, good recruit. I don't know if it's going to be that easy of a transition. If anything slips up there, this team could be one that has, you know, high expectations like this. Like, have they get a couple games in, they're going to lose a bunch of games they don't. And that just makes it – that just makes me nervous. And I think – I definitely think Stanford – I think I got them fourth or fifth where I am finishing around that area. Team could easily drop to I think about seventh or eighth and just not even be relevant and become you know, very not talked about when it comes to tournament time if in fact they don't perform up to expectations. So I've got them as most likely to be on catfish. Griff, I thought you were going to say UCLA because of Dyson Knicks because oh. we got catfish by Dyson Knicks. Oh God! I'll be honest. So I wrote down I wrote down one that was similar. I didn't call it catfish, but I just said most likely to underperform expectations. And I'm not saying that it's my – I don't think that it's my expectations, but other people's. I've seen a couple people think that Colorado could be in the top four of the conference. I just don't see that happening It without Tyler Bay. No. McKinley Wright would have to be going off every single yeah. night for that to happen. And this was a team that was also, even with Tyler Bay, just like fading in terms of good performances and not playing very well down the stretch last year. So – yeah. I just don't see it with them. Can you can you imagine? Because this this whole segment's based off of yearbook superlatives, and in your yearbook, you see underneath a picture of you most likely to underperform in your senior yearbook. Uh, that's just tough. <laughs> that's a rough one. I'm gonna go a different direction, much more positivity in this early AM when we're recording this. Biggest glow up. Nafali Dante of Oregon, like you said, Gabe, was only able to be on the floor for about 13 minutes a game last year. Not great with foul trouble. Fitness level wasn't that high. That is in large part because this guy is coming from Mali and has never been exposed to the American basketball circuit, at least not like he was this year in Oregon. In this high-level, high-competitive situation, I think with a full offseason – 
a dude who's pretty much seven feet, six eleven, two thirty, extraordinarily mobile, insane bounce, is going to take a huge step this year. I think he's going to be dominant. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being Oregon's best player, and it's a deep sleeper for conference player of the year. Oh, he's not the guy that I would think is a sleeper for. Uh... Well, they got like five. Yeah. Oregon. Okay. Fair point. So... Fair point. Yeah. It's all just a matter of who steps up. My Pac-12 superlative goes to most likely to be wanted by the FBI, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it is uh, Sean Miller, head coach, Arizona. He had five level one violations announced by the NCAA on the Wildcats at the end of October. He's by far the most hated coach in the conference by opposing fan bases. I don't even need to take a straw poll. We just know that that's the truth. And if there were figuratively still saloons in the West Coast and then on the, the on the in uh, deserted areas of on your drive from Phoenix to L.A. or whatever, they would have plastered up most wanted FBI Sean Miller, and uh, I think that's just a given. So we need to address it. Fair yeah. enough. I, I do think that you would have to say that in terms of just, like, coaches that you wouldn't want to get into a scrap with right now, maybe not so much Archie Miller, but because of all the allegations, he's a bad dude. Like, Bobby Hurley and Mick Cronin in the Anchorman-style coaches war, Actwell's riding high. We're good. We're set. Peyton, you keep calling Sean Archie, and I think it's because both Goodness of them, gracious. I think yeah, it's because no, both I of them just keep underperforming expectations, even though I think one preview of the Big Ten, I think one is going to actually have a decent year. The other one is um, going to be – I think he's going to be on the hot seat by the end because the, the way that Sean Miller gets fired by Arizona is clearly not because of anything he does recruiting-wise. It's just because if they start losing – the fact that he still has never made a Final Four, he's only made Elite Eights and, and choked in a couple of them, uh, that seat could get hot. But, yes. All right. Next superlative. Dayton is better off without Archie Miller. I said it. Okay. Next, I'm going to stick with uh, – I'm giving the credit to another coach also. Honestly, I'm not even sure if this one necessarily fits. But most likely to be president – I'm going Dana Altman, which means I think he's the best coach in conference. Um, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's, there's any surprise there, but I think I, I just have this vision of coaches and like the way they lead, like Bobby Hurley, like being that like ASU is like its own separate country and Bobby Hurley is the president of that country. That's how I view the coach. Is. So coach I see, you know, most likely to be the president, Dana Altman, this guy <laughs> quoted back. This is a quote. <laughs> I think, mid-April with Andy Katz. He posts, I think we have a chance to be very good. We're an old team, and I like old teams. I like working with guys who are focused and have a sense of urgency. So it's a very classic Dan Altman statement, just liking where he's at and liking his eyes, no matter who he has in front of him. I'm sure he would have said that with everybody else. But that's the best thing about him. He's never shook, and he shouldn't be with this working team because they're still talented. They're just going to have to figure out who's going to be the guy now that Peyton Pritchard's gone, who's going to be the guy to step up late in the games, Who's going to hit the big shots? I think they got plenty of guys that can do it. They just got to pick one, and that one's going to embrace that role and really take it in stride. But I think Oregon, the team that I've got finishing third, 
but I could definitely see finishing first and being up there in the national ranks because that's how talented they are. They get figured out correctly. Dan Allman going to be a big reason why he's going to win the presidency. Maybe not actually, but in the heart of Oregon fans, he definitely probably could. I don't know if I see that necessarily. He's kind of uh, well. A few write-in votes from an uh, Oregon fan to take home a national title. I don't think is a complete um, is a complete long shot. He doesn't have my vote. Twenty seventeen hurt me. I'll just say that. <laughs> All right, Peyton. Okay, last one here. The best dresser. That goes to Josh Christopher. And you may be wondering where I'm going with this. But what I think needs to be stated about Christopher is more so than his actual basketball playing, which is also very good. He's got a juice, a pull, a swag on social media, the way he carries himself, the way he dresses himself, his fashion, because that actually matters in 2020 to recruits. That is more so important to, I think, any team in the league than anyone. I, I think Josh Christopher, what he can do to establish ASU as a national brand this year is going to be crucially important because of how entertaining the dude is and how much of a recruiting tool he could be for this next group of ASU players after he moves on. I think that he has more long-term gravity than anybody in the league. Maybe I'm a little bit too close to it and don't have the perspective necessary, but I just don't see really even nationally other guys that are paralleling the amount of intrigue that Christopher is going to conjure up just by being who he is, not necessarily as a basketball player, but as a personality. Okay. Yeah. I, I, it's uh, I'm not a huge, like, fashion guy it wouldn't be what draws me to a school as a recruit but I think that Josh Christopher is built the way that most kids are becoming and especially most high level recruits are becoming so but he also he also gave really really wants to win and is an ultra competitor to go along with it so he backs it up and I think that's the important part it's it's yeah. substantive too yeah I I completely agree in that sense um, I have the Pac-12, the Pac-12 superlative of transfer we know is good, but just realized is in this conference. And it goes to LJ Figueroa of Oregon. He was really good at St. John's. I, I'll say really good. He was pretty good at St. John's. Transferred from there, has still not gotten a waiver. I would anticipate he gets one because would you say Griffin, John Rothstein likes to say they're giving him out like seedless watermelon at a board. Fourth of July party or something? See, that was handing out waivers like seedless watermelons at a Fourth of July party, maybe. Yeah, so I would anticipate LJ gets one, and if he gets one, uh, between him, um, Amari Hardy, uh, Eugene Omarui, they are getting multiple transfers uh, at Oregon, and you could say that's going down too much of the route of what Arizona did last year. Maybe you're right. Um, but I think Oregon will have some success because of a returner. And we'll get to that in our, they would, they could, they should segment my last superlative. Cause I believe you guys have gotten all of yours. I have a shocker. No. Um, 
you know how you were basing this off of, or Peyton, you were telling us we should base these off of like a high school yearbook superlative. You know how people have most likely to become a millionaire or a billionaire or something like that? Sure. I'm going to say most likely to become a one seed. And I don't think it's ASU. I don't think it's Oregon. I actually think it's UCLA because if they truly do get the ball rolling, the name brand recognition and the, if there's anything that could possibly become of a team that could break the West coast um, or the East coast bias against the West coast, it's UCLA. I don't think that's ridiculous. Not at all. So that's my last superlative. Griff, do you have one more or are you good? I do have one more. Okay. Um, it's, not, it's, it's not like a serious – I'm actually very surprised you brought that up. We'll talk and uh, could – or they could, they would, they should. We'll talk We'll talk then. Um, my, this one is just the last one. It's quick. Most likely to brighten up your day. I've got it as Tiger Campbell. Just for the fact that I simply enjoy watching him just play basketball. If, if – I know Gabe can attest to this watching um, <laughs> Gabe watching like Dude, I love Tiger Campbell. I was like, I know, this dude's amazing. So if you haven't watched Tiger Campbell play, please tune into some UCLA basketball if you're on the East Coast. Yeah, you have to stay up a little bit late sometimes, but yeah, he's a joy to watch. He's just a high energy player. He's got great hair. You know, UCLA UCLA is just he he's just a fun player. He's just a little ball energy and he's he's just very dynamic. It's a good passer. You know, I mean, he just he, – there was a one game, I forgot which one it was, but we were, Gabe and I were watching it, and then Tiger Campbell was just dropping dimes left and right, like every play. And it was just it was just so electric. I don't think there's a guy that, that could be more enjoyable to watch or something random night than Tiger Campbell. So, who's, got, who's got better hair between Tiger Campbell and Remy Martin? Remy's kind of – shortened it up a little bit and gone a little beard mode. He's kind of gone James Harden mode. So I would Real give the, Tiger. I would give the like actual hair to Tiger. Yeah. He looks like a uh, Pirates of the Caribbean extra. I wrote Tiger down as a superlative, uh, but I, I cut it out because of, uh, I, I didn't want to fully embrace the take that I was about to give. So we're going to move on. We're going to go to one of our segments we're going, to, we're going to premiere for these previews. It is they would, they could, they should. Maybe we'll keep it around and, and use it uh, during the season at some point. But basically the concept, each of us has two teams from the conference to break down. We have to make a statement of team name, would, blank, they could, blank, or they should, blank. So who would like to begin? I mean, I can go first. I mean, I'm really excited for just we decided each of us two teams to go for them. First one I'm going to bring off, UCLA, I think one of the most dynamic teams in the entire conference. Like we talked about, I, it just all – like Johnny Juzang, Cody Riley, Jalen Hill, Tiger Campbell – I mean, they just got experience left and right. David Singleton's a guy that they're going to expect to come off the bench now, junior guy that's going to be pretty solid for them. And then Chris Smith, who was the who was the engine to that team at the end of last year, their leading scorer. He's going to be a senior now. So where does that put him? UCLA. They would, 
be considered the best team in the Pac-12 if ASU did not have the offseason they just had. And I believe that because they're going to have, they have their guy returning, unlike Oregon without Peyton Pritchard. We think Oregon has a lot of talent. I think UCLA matches that, honestly, because they, you look at the mix of Oregon's talent, it's experience and actual games that we've seen them play right now. Oregon's played more high leverage games than UCLA has in the past two years. I'm not saying that. But based on what we saw last year from UCLA, I mean, these guys, these guys have been through, you know, a couple seasons, a couple seasons of college hoops, a couple seasons of college hoops. You're going to get experience like that. So I think they have similar experience there. And this is a team that played really well last year, and they are getting their guy back. So I would say they would be considered the best team in the Pac-12 without ASU having one of its best recruiting off seasons in school history. Frankly, they get their highest recruit, and they get a guy in Marcus Bagley four-star that I think is going to be a very nice piece for them, and they get a bunch of transfers. So UCLA would be considered the best team in the Pac-12 in my eyes without that. They could be the number be a number one seed heading into the NCAA tournament, which I'm so shocked Gabe actually brought up in the last one. I was like, well, you've got to be kidding me. Because I was trying, I was gonna I was gonna drop this right now. But instead I'm just having that we're just gonna have to agree or gave them why we think they could potentially be that like you said ucla's got the name brand we already know that you know ucla when it comes to basketball is always i mean they're they are considerably a blue blood at times but they haven't lost that because they haven't been able to grab you know top recruits left and right now they got they lost one g league oh, it's tough you know that's you know, that's gonna happen to a few schools now that that's in the play we've talked about that plenty over the summer um but this is a team that's got the name brand. They've got – I think they've got the coach to do it. I think Mick Cronin's a great coach. And, you know, he did a great job last year. Didn't get off the start he wanted. But, you know, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. You know, the, the cliche there. And they finished as one of the best teams in the conference with how they play at the end of that season. And, you know, if Chris Smith – like I said, if Chris Smith – they can be the number one team if Chris Smith is Pac-12 player of the year worthy – and I'm more looking like if he is in the top two or three for that award, because I think if he can play, he's a 13 a game score last year. Didn't really turn it on until the end. The whole story about UCLA last year, you know, he had a road stretch at Washington, Washington state where they won both games and he was the leading score. He was the impact guy for them. And if he can do that, be a 17, 18 a game score. And I can definitely see this team being number one in the pack 12. And with the way it looks this year, that could easily get you a good enough resume to become a one seed. And if they win, they would have to win the Pac-12 tournament as well. But I don't think they do it unless Chris Smith is, of course, number a number a number one, two, or three candidate for Pac-12 player. I do, on the record, I think that's Remy Martin's award to lose. I'm just saying that's the level he's going to have to play at if UCLA has those aspirations of being a one seed that they could be. Now UCLA should be what I think they're going to be this year. I think they're going to be the second best team in the conference. I think, I think they are going to edge out or I don't know about Oregon talent wise. Like we said, it's very tough with Oregon itself. Cause I think once we get to see Oregon play, see all those guys, see who is going to step up and take the role of the guy on that team. We're not going to know necessarily how good they could be. We know they're going to be good. So I'm going to throw them at third. I got ASU taking it. Cause I think they're the most talented team. I got UCLA second because I think like, I think like I've said before, UCLA has got the talent. I think close to work, close to, if not the same level as Oregon. And they've got the experience from last year and they've got a bunch of returners and a bunch of guys that have so much potential to step up where they were last year. I mentioned Jaime Hawkins, Tiger Campbell. 
those guys have so much to improve on from last year. And I just really like the combination that this team brings. They're dangerous, man. I'm really excited to see them. You know, as a person growing up in Southern California, it's really nice to see UCLA kind of like be relevant in basketball consistently again because they've just been so fluctuated over the last few years. And, you know, I think college basketball overall is a better place when the Bruins are good. So I think them being good this year is healthy for not only the Pac-12, it's healthy for college hoops. So I'm really looking forward to that. I completely agree with that. And I'm I'm also shocked that your could statement was – uh was, was the one scene. One. Yeah, I especially – I mean, I said most likely to, which means I think that it's more likely that they are than Eric. Yeah, I'm just saying but, you took it. Yeah, job. but that actually, that actually transitions us into my Wood statement for Arizona State. So I, I wrote this down. Arizona State would be the presumptive unanimous favorite if their jerseys said UCLA. If they had this yeah. talent, this is the discussion we just had with Arizona. If their jerseys said Arizona or UCLA, they'd be a top 10 team in the country. No questions asked. People would be absolutely bathing in the ASU love. And it would be an unreal, unreal amount of support for the Sun Devils. Am I wrong? Nobody's disagreeing with that. Okay. That's because that's the way I see it is, is they're the most talented roster you can make an argument for Oregon, but it's it's a lot of pieces who have had success other places, whereas ASU has a good amount of returning guys in in Verge and Martin, and I would say Kamani Lawrence. Tayshawn Cherry, I think, is going to make a decent leap as well. Arizona State could be the highest scoring team in the country. I think that they're going to push the pace and shoot a ton of threes this year. So it's all – I know last year they were a – pretty average shooting team overall. I think that's because they had a couple um, a couple guys who took threes who really didn't need to. Um, and if if they get the ideal Alonzo Verge, which is mid-range jumpers and cutting layups, uh, diving to the rim and stuff like that, pick and roll game, it could be great for their three-point percentage. It could be great for their offensive efficiency yeah. uh, to go along with Bagley, uh, if Kamani Lawrence could can find his jumper again, Tay Cherry started to make some shots at the end of last year, and I just think I think Christopher and Remy Martin are both going to put up four a game at least, and if they can hit at least two, if they put up five a game, if they can hit two a game, that's the type of numbers that they're going to have to put up. The evidence behind it, they are the highest scoring team in the Pac-12 over the last three years, so. I don't think it's there's any question they're going to be the highest scoring team in the Pac-12. It's just a matter of how high can they be um, in the national rankings. And my Arizona State should statement, Arizona State should make it to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. That should be the expectation for this team. An Elite Eight would be great. A Final Four would be gravy. Um, but if they don't make it out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament with this roster, with probably, I'm going to say it, probably the best player in program history on the team, probably the either the best or the second best recruit in program history on this team. Peyton, you pointed out the bigs is, a, is an issue. I think Jalen Graham steps up. I think he's going to fill the void. Um, we'll see if Chris Austin is able to mm-hmm. be the second big or if, if that's truly going to be a deficiency and they're truly going to have to go all in 
um, if they're going to have to beg Tay Cherry, Kamani Lawrence, and Marcus Bagley to really man up and guard the four like a like a like a big on the defensive end. It'll be interesting to see. But I still think even if they have those flaws, second weekend of the NCAA tournament is absolutely should be the expectation for this turn team. All right, I like it. Gabe, how do you think ASU will start their starting five? I think it's gonna be Martin, Christopher, Bagley, Graham, and Verge. You think they're going to start Verge? I think they have to start Verge. There's you, some people would say keep him in the the six man spot because he was so good at the job last year. Yeah. But I would just say put him put him where Rob Edwards was. He's not going to do the same type of stuff. But Christopher will take the threes that Edwards isn't taking, and Verge can just do what he did because regardless of whether he starts or not, even say Bobby Hurley decides he's not starting him and he's going to play Kamani Lawrence instead, or he's going to play Tay Cherry instead at the four, because either, either he starts verge at what is basically the two. It doesn't truly matter because they're just going to go with three smaller guards. Um, if you think Josh Christopher is quote unquote small, if verge is out there, he's going to be out there in the closing lineup, no matter what. Yeah. So, yeah, so you you truly you might as well figure out if he can start with that group, um, because and, and unless you want to do like a Golden State Warriors type thing where you keep Igadala on the bench on the yeah. bench just because, and you put I don't know if Jalen Graham will close games. I would think he would because they need a rim protector, but maybe Marcus Bagley is something that I don't think he is uh, defensively, or maybe. Maybe Kamani Lawrence uh, bulked up a little bit, but it will be interesting because they have so many lineup opportunities and maybe the emergence of a Holland Woods or something gets extra minutes. Um, I just can't wait to see this team because I, I think that not only does the starting lineup intrigue me, the starting schedule that they're going to play intrigue yeah. me. Um, and it's, We'll see if they have the December peak and the January rut. I don't think they will. I just think that they have too they have too much experience by their best player and they have too much talent by their young guys. So I think they're gonna be great this year. Yeah, I, I think they're at their most ideal. If we're talking about coulds, if Tayshawn Sherry can kind of put together the offensive shooting arsenal that he showed his freshman year and the defensive toughness that he kind of added last year while not being able to shoot the ball. If that guy is able to do both and take the natural progression that we thought we were going to see after his freshman year, because let's keep in mind, this is another top 50 or so recruit. That's just also on this team. That dude who's that six, eight, six, nine guy, but can sit in the corner and really stretch you from three can grab a couple rebounds. You think of the lineups they can play with like two true bigs, but one of them being more athletic and a shooter or going small and putting Tay at center. That's really deadly offensively. So I'm excited to see if that happens. We're going to take it down south for mine. Arizona is mine, one of the more intriguing teams in the league, not because of what I think they can do on the floor necessarily, but because of how bad I think they could potentially be. So that's where we'll start. Could. Could Arizona be a team that only wins about a third of their games in the league? 
couldn't get that bad with the sanctions hanging, with everything going on. With Sean Miller, correct? Sean Miller, not not Archie, because yes. I'm an idiot and I, I get confused and I don't know how my brain works sometimes. Um, it doesn't matter. They're both gonna get fired. I don't know what is with me in like just trying to fire people all the time lately. It, it's a thing, but if it's bad. With Arizona kind of underperforming the last couple of years, you can even make the argument that the DeAndre Ayton year was an underperformance because they got bounced in the first round. With everything that's happened on the court, the lack of even – because Sean has been successful. But over the last couple of years, we're looking at a guy that after this year, he probably has not reached the second weekend of the tournament in four years at Arizona, which is not necessarily acceptable. Plus the allegations – it could be the end for him. And I don't think that's crazy, especially if they're just not that good. So that would be the could happen. That's the nightmare scenario for Arizona. What should happen, they go about 500. They're a frustrating team that maybe gets a really good game out of Akinjo or Brown, Jordan Brown, the transfer from Nevada, who is the big Eric Musselman recruit. And they knock off a couple teams. They maybe go two or three games above 500. Maybe you're a scrappy middle-of-the-road seed team that you don't want to see in the conference tournament. That's probably what should happen. Um, I don't. What would happen if they get, like, elite-level performance out of one of these European dudes? Let's say they discover, like, a Lori Markkinen type. Even though Markkinen was a higher recruit. What would happen if that happens? This top 25 team. Because I don't necessarily trust Brown or Akinjo or Jamal Baker to be the guy on this team. Akinjo is really exciting but so inefficient. Two years at Georgetown, shot around 35% from the floor in both. That is really bad. That cannot be the guy who's spurring high-level offense. But if you give that as a Robin, a dude who can just pop off for 25 but may not have it on a night to, like, a grown man, one of these European dudes who's been through the wars, I think this team could be dangerous. I just don't necessarily see where that dude is right now, but they could pop up. Again, these European guys, Arizona's got a few of them. They're very hard to project at the college level. They can be stars. They cannot. So we'll see. I think they're the most variable team in the league, though. Yeah, basically, the, 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 the entire thing with European guys is, like, unless they go to Gonzaga, I'm just like, we'll wait and see. <laughs> You're out. Unless they go – no, 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 no. I'm, I'm in on, like, giving them a chance, but there's no one I'm going to be, like, no doubter, no doubter, stud. <laughs> unless, like, unless, like, Luka Doncic would have played in college basketball. Can you imagine? Other than that, it's, like, unless they're at Gonzaga – I'm just going to wait and see. But if they're at Gonzaga, you've already sold me. So, we're good. Honest to God question for you. Would Luka, Go- like, would Luka Doncic – I almost said Luka Garza. Would Luka Doncic average 40 and 20 in college? No. You don't think so? No. no the no. Pace, Do you know how okay. hard that would be to do? The pace is too slow. That may be true. That may be true. And plus, this is – you know, I know Luka was incredible his rookie year too, but – you know, he has definitely evolved as a player in the more. Sure. So I think you take Luka Doncic 
as a draft prospect. He threw him in college hoops, 40 and 20, I think, so a little much. But he would have been a guy averaging – I think he would be averaging close to a triple-double because I still feel like he plays the same. I feel like he'd be like a 21, 22-game score, about eight to nine assists, and then about seven to eight rebounds as well. I think that's not too too far-fetched when it comes to that. Um, But we'll move on from uh, Luka Mania. I already – Got to see enough of that in the NBA bubble when he uh, almost single-handedly took out the Clips. So <laughs> we're gonna go. We're we're gonna go to my second team for. We're gonna start with their they would statement, and we're going. We're seeing SoCal boys staying in SoCal. I'm thinking USC is my next team. So we get the little the little LA rivalry. Are we talking about UCLA? I think they're the way better team here. I don't think anyone would be surprised by that. But USC is a team. That is always in the mix, no matter what kind of collection of characters they have. They're losing a, a lot of familiar faces, like we talked about earlier. But this team would be a fringe top three team in the conference if they had a guy like Jonah Matthews on their team still. Obviously, he leaves after finishing up his career last year at USC. But this guy, I mean, Jonah Matthews was a guy that could just – just dynamic scoring, definitely a shooter for them. That's why I think was the important part. He was their main shooter. And also a guy that can just score. There's a two guy that can score. Now they're hoping Noah Bauman from San Jose State, the transfer registered junior comes in, can kind of be that guy too. Isaiah White, a scorer from Utah Valley transfers in. They've got a couple guys that they think can score on the wing that are transferring in for this team. So I'm not putting that by them, but they would be a first top three team if they had a guy like Jonah Matthews that could really shoot the lights out. We'll see if they got that in Bauman or White, but not sure if they could do that. That'll be a tough replace right there. This team could be, I think, a four or five seed into the NCAA. That's just how much I believe in Evan Mobley, man. I think he's going to be that good. And then, you know, he's got his brother Isaiah Mobley right next to him. It's going to be a, a lethal front court with good chemistry. Obviously, two guys that know how to play with one another. And I think Evan Mobley, like I said, plays a lot like an Anthony Davis, especially at this college level where he can just score from anywhere. He's going to outsize you. And I think personally, I know I questioned the big question with him is his defense. I think he will do a good enough job. Um, you know, you, I don't know if USC can return to number, what was it? Number 18, number 18 adjusted defense on Ken Palm like they were last year. I think a Congo is just that special. I don't think even with a player like Evan Mobley, I think that's even feasible to, me but this team could be a four or five seed if you know if guys like ethan anderson really step up now do i think even and a lot of people around usc don't think ethan anderson be that guy either but it just shows you how crucial his role is as their point guard because it seems like they've got everything else they got two guys that can score outside of the guard position and bauman and white which they believe they're projected spares from transferring in and they've got Mobley, who's probably one of the top talents in the conference, like we talked about. Now, if Ethan Anderson can be a guy that just runs that offense efficiently and can score eight to nine points and take care of the ball, I think this team is way more lethal and could be up to a four or five seed. I don't think that's going to happen. Andy Enfield and Trojans usually like sitting around that eight to 11 spot after getting about nine conference wins and something like that. Just a team that just somehow bags 20 wins a lot and sits at the bottom of the NCAA tournament discussion when it comes to March. Now, what they should be is a middle-of-the-pack Pac-12 team, which I think is what they're going to be. But I still think they're going to make the NCAA tournament, like we said. 
that 8 to 11 seed range like where USC usually likes to sit. And they're usually one of the more dangerous teams around that seeding level. I think I could see them as a 10, maybe 9, but 10 or 11, I think, is the more realistic expectation for this team. And they're going to be a dangerous team come March because I think they're going to be solid defensively. They're going to have Evan Mobley. That's going to be a big matchup problem for a lot of teams. A seven-footer that can score like that. It's hard to find seven-footers in college hoops that are, you know do amazing things for you all around, let alone they're going to have to find one that can not only slow down Evan Mobley on the offensive end, but somehow get around him on the defensive end. I think that's going to be a tough matchup for any team when it comes to March Madness. So I, I think USC is a very interesting team to keep your eye on this year in the Pac-12. I definitely know I'll be tuned into them because I think Andy Enfield and the boys are going to, you know, just – I think they're going to surprise a lot of people, but I also think they're that team that gives a lot of, like, top teams upset upset losses and could definitely shake some things up as far as Pac-12 standings go, which is always expected in a conference like this. I think uh, I think USC gives me Washington vibes last from last year where it's like – I could see them being good, but – I, I think that they should just enjoy Mobley while they have him in a way that Washington fans should have enjoyed Isaiah Stewart while they had him. Um, Mobley's significantly better, I would say, NBA-wise. But but I just – I don't I don't know if I completely trust uh, Andy Enfield coaching-wise. But um, my next team is Oregon, which – we think some of us think could, could easily win the conference. Um, it could be close. It could be them in third. It could be them in fourth. If, if all the transfers don't fall through, but here are the statements, Oregon would love it. If in folly Dante could stay healthy. Peyton already touched on this huge presence inside. He only played 13 minutes per game. He only played in, in the, in 12 games last year, he only played in 13 minutes per game during those 12 games. So if he can stay on the floor, if he can develop, if he can, if he can reach the ceiling that they believe he has, um, it would be massive because they could take yeah. advantage of some inside presence that other schools in the conference just don't have. Oregon could, and Peyton also uh, touched on this, could have a dark horse contender for Pac-12 Player of the Year. You said in Folly Dante, I will present you Will Richardson. I yeah. debuted this take um, during our Games of the Year podcast segment back all the way at the start of quarantine. Um, I said I really liked what he did in games against Arizona. He averaged 11 points per game as a sophomore. Probably is going to have to make a six, seven, eight point per game jump and get to 17, 18, or 19 per game and represent by far with no doubt that he's the best player on that team and, and ha- probably have to have them win the conference. It'd be much like the case for Remy Martin last year, actually, um, although I would say Martin, we knew going into the year was going to be, uh, the best player on the team this year. I think there's a little bit of question as to who is the number one guy on Oregon. I would lean toward Will Richardson and I'm going to kind of do a cop out. I'm just going to say Oregon should easily be an NCAA tournament team. They should walk into Las Vegas in March for the Pac-12 tournament, knowing they could lose the first game and it would hurt their seating, but that they're going to be safely in the field. I think that when all is said and done, Oregon is a four or five seed um, and it is safely in the field. A good run at the Pac-12 tournament could boost them to a three. Uh, a first-round exit could drop them to a five or a six. That's the way I see uh, 
Griffin's presidential candidate, Dana Altman, commanding this, <laughs> the, the Oregon Ducks this year. Dana Altman, 2024, you heard it here first. When the Ducks win a national championship, if they do in the next four years, he will be a write-in candidate. You heard it here first. Dana Altman for president. I think that could be a T-shirt. El Jefe. Dana Altman. 2024. <laughs> El Patron. Um, so I'm going to take it to Stanford for mine. Uh, very intriguing woulda, coulda, shoulda for these guys because I think would have Tyrell Terry come back. And now I project him, and I don't want to cast doubt onto him as an NBA player. He reminds me a lot of Shane Larkin. That's six foot, 160. 100, he can't play in the NBA at 160. He'll get too banged around. But right now is being projected as that mid-20s draft pick, early 20s, kind of like Shane Larkin was, end of that lottery period into that next phase of the draft is a guy who's a project, but if you're going to be a first round go round draft pick, go get your bag, not casting aspersions on that. I'm just saying that if he had come back, would he have come back to Stanford? They maybe have the best big three in the country with Zaire Williams, with De Silva, with Tyrell Terry. This is a top 10 team. I genuinely believe that. And it is a shame for the PAC 12 that he decided to go I don't think he's going to be a very high draft pick, so I think there's a legitimate argument to be had that maybe he could have come back, but he didn't, so it doesn't really matter. What they could be this year, still a top 25 team, still a team that can compete in the Pac-12. I think when you look at them, you see, oh, they lost Tyrell Terry there's not much that Zaire Williams is stepping into, and that's not true. This is a team that's returning over 50 points per game of production from a year ago with guys that you would expect would take another step. Really need De Silva to continue to be what he has been. Need Dayon Davis to take another step, and Dejon Davis to be that third guy, to be that guy in double digits supporting these two dudes because De Silva and Williams are going to have to carry the water. What they should be for Coach Haas in their third, in his his next progression here at Stanford. He had Akpala. Last year it was Terry. This year it's the big guy. It's Williams. It's that top 10 recruit. We've seen before these schools get the top 10 guy and not perform, and the coach is out in a couple years. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with Haas because I think he's the best coach Stanford has had in quite some time. But what should happen this year, they should make the tournament. They've had these dudes. They've had really exciting players. They've been competitive the last couple of years. They have yet to make the tournament field or make a push for it. They were going to be on the bubble last year, probably on the wrong side of it. This year, they need to comfortably make the tournament. I think they should probably be the fourth best team in this league. That's what should happen. We'll see if it does. We'll see if it you does. You laugh. What, what's, what's funny about this? Well, I just – I guess I just said it about USC. It, it kind of stands true. There's, there's, it's always interesting to see guys go as recruits to non-traditional powers because it either they either become a program hero, or Ben Simmons, or 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 Ben Simmons. Yeah. So, <laughs> and there was a, a a bunch of factors behind Ben Simmons and LSU being bad, including the fact that. The coaching surrounding him was just not very good. Antonio Blakeney did not turn into what he was supposed to. All of those things contributed to it. But 
I don't know. I'm going to temper expectations because I just think that there is such a clear top tier of the Pac-12, and it's – I would be shocked if anyone other than ASU, UCLA, and Oregon finished in the top three of this conference. I would be shocked. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I'm just saying I think Stanford – more so than like a Colorado or even a Cal under Fox this next year. They should be the team up next, more so than USC too, because of the returning guys. And I think there's been a lot more hype on USC because Mobley is a more hyped up dude. But I think Zaire Williams is just as good as Mobley is in terms of what he can do to impact games this year. And then you've also got De Silva back. You've also got Dejon Davis back. All these returning guys. This is the year that Haas has to take the step and say, we're here. Stanford is a contender in the Pac-12. Maybe not for the title this year, but a definite lock to make the NCAA tournament and the team that should get UCLA, Arizona State, or Oregon and beat them at least once. I think they're better than USC. I think they're the separating tier. The cream and the Oreo, if, the, if you will. Cookie one, that's that big three. The cream, USC, and Stanford – and then everybody else is that bottom piece of the Oreo, that second cookie that nobody really cares about. Well, but, but here's the thing with the, with that. It's like, is the first cookie or the second cookie, it's like left Twix or right Twix. You really, you can't. There's no difference? There's, you're you, saying the Pac-12 is just a, a glob? No, that's why I'm saying I don't agree with the analogy because I think. Okay, fair enough. It was a bad analogy. <laughs> I admit that. I'll back off. I'm sorry. I, I like the creative, the creativity. Um, <laughs> I'll stick to videos. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, am I wrong or are we all assuming that ASU wins this thing when it, when all is said and done? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. No, I don't think so. I think they're the most talented team. I think they have the highest ceiling, but Bobby Hurley is just not as he is the best coach ASU has ever had. And Griffin, you were so wrong last year coming from my mans. And I, honestly, to some extent, I was as well early in the year. But the consistency has just never been there, and I don't think in this COVID-stricken year that's going to happen. So I would rather bet on Dana Altman in Oregon with a lot of the returning guys than I would on ASU, even though I think they're the most talented team in the league by far. I'm going to yeah, ride I'm going to ride with ASU. I think that they – I just think that the talent is finally – They instead of, instead of sporadic talent, there's talent throughout the roster. And aside from questions at the center spot, they are absolutely loaded, and I can't wait to see what happens. Um, I think that's it for our Pac-12 preview. We touched on a ton of things. Keep your eyes peeled um, on the Heat Check podcast feed. Like, rate, review, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We will have more of these college basketball previews coming your way as we get closer to November 25th. Thanks for listening. For Peyton Gallagher, Griffin Peters, I'm Gabe Schwartz. See you next time.
matter if it's Sunday or a Monday, you know that we flex. True. You can never make it more obvious. You checking for the heat, that's cold. That's cold, that's cold. Headed to the top of the top of this. You can never reach these hoes. in the booth and we spin the truth. Hey. We inspire the youth and we get to the loop. You do what it does and we do what it do. We turn to the max and they got you on mute. You. Oh, flow so high, so you know hey. I had to run it back. Blazes a ball, and we ride hey. like a running back. Gabe, bro, I try, so you know hey. we having fun with that. Turn you into ops, so you know hey. we ain't no coming back. Now we done with that.